Our scripture reading today is from Romans 8, 12 to 27. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Megan, for reading God's Word for us this morning, and welcome again to Christ Community. We're really glad that you're here this morning. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors on our staff, and we're just we're glad that you're here as we continue uh, in our series called "The Story of the Spirit." We're looking at the Holy Spirit, kind of from we started in Genesis and we've moved through. Uh, now we're into the New Testament, into Romans, and as we uh, look more closely at this passage that Megan just read for us. I'd love to pray and ask that the Spirit would be at work, helping us to understand and apply the words that he inspired the Apostle Paul to write here. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, we are grateful for all the many uh, ministries of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit in our lives. And we acknowledge this morning that he is the author of these words, and we ask, Spirit, that you would help us to understand and apply and faithfully um, obey what you have inspired the Apostle Paul here to write in Romans chapter 8. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I wonder when the last time in your life that you, uh, that you audibly groaned. And, and maybe for some of you, it wasn't that long ago. Maybe it was this morning when you were getting out of bed. Uh, maybe you hit the, uh, the snooze a couple of times and then finally climbed out of bed. I know there's probably a little groan for me as I uh, climbed out of bed this morning. Um, or, or maybe it was when you were watching uh, a sporting event, maybe a baseball game or something recently, and you were watching the game, and uh, guy's about to make the catch and drops it. 
or you know, your team is, is down by two, the bases are loaded, there are two outs, and the hitter strikes out looking. It's like, oh, groan, right? Uh, or, or maybe, maybe it was the last time you heard, heard a dad joke. Maybe you groaned when you heard, heard a dad joke. And uh, Actually, let me just give you an opportunity to hear a couple of dad jokes right now. Uh, maybe experience some groaning. So, you know, why, why do fathers always take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? You know, of course, in case they get a hole in one. I mean, you got to, all right. See, there, yeah, that's what I was looking for, the groan right there, right? Uh, or, you know, if April showers bring May flowers, uh, what do May flowers bring? You got pilgrims, right? You got to bring the pilgrims. Okay, good. Some people were ahead of me on that one. Um, and, and what did the ocean say to the beach? Nothing. It, it just waved. Uh, okay. All right. No, enough dad jokes. Uh, but, but the older I get, the more dad jokes I tell, for sure. Um, but also, the more I groan, right? We just got back from vacation a little over a week ago, and we went to four national parks, Glacier, Yellowstone, Grand Teton, just a few of the ones we went to, and we camped for six consecutive nights. Uh, and I just noticed when I would get out of my sleeping bag in the morning, uh, I, I groaned a little more than I did when I was a high schooler backpacking uh, as a Boy Scout. Um, and it, it, at one level, it's kind of weird that we groan as humans, that phenomenon of groaning. Uh, but it's not just our bodies that groan. It's also our, our hearts, our spirits, our emotions. The, the dictionary defines a groan this way. A deep, inarticulate sound in response to pain or despair. Our hearts grown, our emotions grown in despair. And, and those emotional, those spiritual groans, uh, those are often more, well, at, at least as painful, if not at times more painful than, than the groan of physical pain. It's actually why self-harming activities can, can provide a, a relief when people are in moments of deep despair and depression because at least for a moment, the, the physical pain provides a, a distraction from the emotional pain. The groans that we have when someone we love is in trouble or hurt or, or sick or in harm's way in some way, the, the groans that come when, when the credit card bills are mounting and, and the statement is higher than you thought, and, and as you're looking at that and pouring over it, you get a, a call from your spouse that the car is broken down again. Or, or maybe the groan when you feel like, my, my parents just do not understand. They don't understand me. Or when you feel like a spouse or, or a coworker just does not get what you're trying to do or how you're trying to be, there's just there's a groan. And maybe in those moments you, you want to bring your groan to God. Maybe you think, I, you know, I should pray in this moment. I really should. Uh, but, but you don't want to, or, or maybe you just don't know how to, or, or you, you're like, I, I know how to pray, but I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say to God in this one. I don't know what to ask for. And we groan because sometimes there just aren't words. And here in, in Romans chapter 8, and, and side note, this is one of my all-time favorite chapters of the Bible. If, if you said, Bill, you only get one chapter of the Bible for the rest of your life, I mean, it would be hard to pick, but Romans 8 would probably be 
the one I would pick. But here in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, who started churches all over the ancient Greco-Roman world, who helped early followers of Jesus learn the way and practices of Jesus, he helps us understand here the phenomenon of groaning. In fact, there's a lot of groaning in this chapter. You heard it as Megan read it. The humans groan, that's verse 23, that we, we groan, we know that, we've been talking about that. Also, though, in the verse right before that, in verse 22, and I think this is fascinating, Paul says that all of creation, not just human beings, but, but all of creation groans. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The planet, creation, animals, our, our creation groans. Hurricane Ida is creation groaning, flooding, disease, viruses, cancer, creation is groaning. But there is something else, really rather someone else, who is groaning in Romans chapter 8, though. Here in God's word, in Romans chapter 8, it says that God, God groans. Verse 26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And, and I hope that if you only kind of remember one thing from this message, or you only write down one thing, I, I hope it's this, that our God groans. The Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of the living God, who, if you are a Christian, indwells you, is groaning with you, is groaning for you. The Spirit groans. Our God groans. The tri-personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, does not stand far off from suffering, is not removed from suffering. The suffering of, of, of individuals, of nations, of countries, of communities, of neighborhoods, families. He's right there, groaning in the midst of it, groaning on our behalf. Again, if you are a Christian, if you've placed your hope in Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you, inhabits you, your body. He is right there with you right now in your pain and in your joys and your hope and in your hopelessness. And, and, and again, as a Christian, whether you acknowledge the Spirit or not, whether or not you're aware of Him or feel Him or sense Him or not, He is groaning on your behalf. With groans that Paul says here are, are too deep for words. Now, you may be here this morning and, and you're visiting with friends or you're here in town with family and church isn't your normal thing and you're kind of deeply skeptical of, of all of this. And I just want to invite you to consider something this morning, and, and I, because I, I get the skepticism, right? We live in a cultural context where believing in God in general is, is just hard, much less the idea of, of a tri-personal God who Christians say comes to, in some way, inhabit and indwell us. I get that that's, that's hard to wrap your mind around. But again, just for a moment today, I want to invite you to consider something. That, that isn't this the kind of story the kind of truth that you would want, that you'd want to be true, that you would long to be true. And maybe it seems too good to be true, but isn't, if you were going to imagine a God, isn't this the kind of God that you would want, that you would long for? A God who groans, 
with groans that are too deep for words. And yet we see in this chapter three truths, three truths of what the Spirit groans, groans over us. So if you haven't already, I invite you to grab one of the Pew Bibles in front of you, page 944, you can follow along, or if you just open up your phone, type Romans 8, Romans plus the numeral 8 into your uh, browser, you'll pull up uh, a website, any number of websites that will have the text of this passage. I'd love for you to follow along. And the first thing we see here is that our God groans this, that you are my children. You are my children. And that's verses 14 through 17. And there are so much in these verses, so much in this chapter that's just packed in. But as I read these verses again, I want to slow down and read them those few verses again for you. I want you to listen for, notice the language of adoption and the language of sonship. Now, again, most translations, they retain that language of, of sonship in this adoption context. Why? Because in the ancient Greco-Roman world, and the legal system of that time, if you had someone who was going to receive an inheritance, it was the son, often the firstborn son, who had the, the highest privilege in that, the most um, legal authority. And so the, the, revelation, the revolutionary truth that Paul's unpacking here in the gospel is that it's not only men in God's family who get that privilege of being sons, but all God's people, men and women alike, children, all have the status, this highest status of being adopted as sons. In fact, J.I. Packer, theologian, uh, notes that our status as adopted children is the highest privilege of the gospel. Even higher, he says, than justification, and just a big church word for, for what happens in the forgiveness of sins. Listen to what he says here. He says, adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. And then I, I love what he says here. He says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing. That's the justification part. And that is an amazing thing, a necessary thing, a glorious thing. To be right with God as judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater, it's a greater thing. So with that kind of framework in mind, now listen again with fresh ears to verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For the Spirit you for, uh, sorry, for the, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And again, Paul packs so much into these sentences here that we could easily, we easily do a whole sermon series just on, on those verses and, and not exhaust all the truth that is there. But the key thing we want to get today is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. And that when he groans, he bears witness with us that we are God's children, that we have been adopted, that, that we don't have to, we, we can't fall back into this, this old fear of, of death, that used to rule us, of condemnation, 
of rejection, of shame, all of these things. You have, the, you have this new spirit of adoption that, that keeps you from falling back into this fear. Think about it like this. As a, as a pastor, I get to be involved in, in lots of weddings, and one of the key elements of, of a wedding outside of the ceremony itself that people see is, is the moment right after the ceremony when I grab the best man and the maid of honor and we sign a document, the marriage certificate, the marriage license. And, and on there, you have two witnesses, those, those witnesses, that, that groomsman, that, that bridesmaid who are saying, I was there. This document is not forged. It's not made up. I witnessed them make these vows. I was present. This happens in adoption courts as well, that there's, there's witnesses there who witness those proceedings who can say, yes, this happened. This really happened. And, and Paul is saying that this is the work of the Spirit. He bears witness with our spirit that indeed we have been adopted. So that when, when Satan tempts you to despair, when, when doubts feel like they're going to overwhelm you, when you feel like you're no good, like no one wants you, like, like you're a failure, the Holy Spirit groans with you and testifies in the face of that doubt and fear and loneliness and shame that the Son has set you free and that because of that you are free indeed, that you are a child of God, that in your Father's house there's a place for you, that you are chosen, that you're not forsaken, that God is for you, that he's not against you, and even now, in this moment, as you, as you hear those truths spoken, if even a small part of you or heart is stirred by that truth, is comforted by that truth, that, that's, that's not me. That's the Spirit's work in your life. Testifying with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. The Spirit groans, you are my children. But there's more than that. The Spirit, our God, groans, I know what my children need. I know what my children need. And this is probably where I spent more time thinking, meditating, studying than anywhere else in this passage this week. Because I don't know about you, but, but for me, prayer is hard. It's not something that comes naturally to me. And, and often I feel a, a loss of, of what exactly to say or pray, not just in, in moments of, of praying with other people or praying publicly in a service or in a prayer gathering or uh, even at praying with the kids at home, but, but also just in my own moments of, of private prayer, just praying by myself, not, not knowing, gosh, what, what should I ask for? How should I pray? Or, or not wanting to pray. And sometimes, I, maybe you felt this too in your prayers, like, I, I feel like I can't even sometimes unwind or untangle my own motivations. And so it's like, I know I'm asking for something that I want, but, and I think it's for the right reason, but it, maybe my heart is, is drawn in other ways, and so I'm not, maybe I'm asking for the right things, but I'm, I'm not asking with the right motives. Or sometimes I'm talking with someone, praying for someone, and, and you know the loss or the diagnosis or the crisis, it's, it's just too big. It's too deep. It's too, too painful for words. And so we just weep. We groan. And trust that the Spirit is praying in us, groaning, I know what my children need. I know what my children need better than they do. Look again at verses 26 and 27, and, and again, there's probably a whole sermon series just in these two 
verses. This chapter is so dense, so rich. But just listen as I read these verses for what the Spirit of God is doing for you as His child. Just listen for that. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's just three things, at least, that we see there that the Spirit is doing for us. He's, He's helping us. He's interceding for us. He's searching us, searching our hearts. And, and because he does that, because he searches us, and again, God is triune, and even in these verses, sometimes it's hard to know which person is being referred to. Is it God who's searching our hearts? And then the Spirit knows that because he's also God. But because God, through the Spirit, searches our hearts, he knows what we want, what we need, our pains, our hurts, even more deeply than we do. And because he is God, he's able to perfectly pray on our behalf and ask for what we would ask for if we knew all that he knows. Uh, Tim Keller uh, points this out, that, that if God always gives us in prayer what we would ask for if we were in his place to know all that he knows. That's the big picture of these verses, but let's zoom in a a little more on a couple of key parts of this picture. Because what does Paul mean that the Spirit helps us or comes to our aid in our weakness? What is is he getting at with this idea of helping or coming to our aid? And actually, this particular word that's translated help here is only used one other place in the New Testament, Um, and it's in this great story in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus comes to this, uh, this house, and there are two sisters there, and I don't know how much notice that Jesus gave them uh, that he was going to be hanging out at their house that afternoon, but because at this point in Jesus' ministry, a lot of people know who he is. I'm sure there's a big crowd with him, and uh, Martha, one of the sisters, is she's, she's furiously trying to offer hospitality to all these people who are at our house, and she's working hard to serve them and care for them, and she can't find her sister anywhere, and she's drowning in all the work that needs to be done, and she goes into the main room, and she sees her sister Mary sitting, sitting, can you believe it, and this all is happening, sitting, listening to Jesus, and Martha groans, she groans to Jesus, and says, tell her to to help me, same word, to come to my aid. Now, Jesus' response in that story is that Mary's actually chosen the better thing. That's a different sermon for a different day. But it's a great picture, isn't it? Of when we feel, we feel like Martha, we feel overwhelmed, and, and the kind of what we need is we need someone to come to our aid, to come and help us as we're drowning and feeling overwhelmed. Paul says that's what the Spirit does. He comes to our aid in our weakness. Now, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I guess it was two Sundays ago, Pastor Dakota did a whole sermon, we had a whole message in this series on the Holy Spirit as our helper from John 14 through 16. It's a great message. I just, I was gone on vacation, I just got to listen to it uh, over the weekend. It's a great message on all of the Spirit's work as our helper, as our counselor, as our friend, as our advocate. 
So if you missed that one, I'd encourage you to go to YouTube and pull it up or um, go to our podcast feed and take a listen to it if you want to dive in. But the specific weakness that the Spirit helps us with here is that we don't know what to pray for. Again, I don't know about you, but I feel this weakness all the time. And, and people who have spent a lot more time studying this text than I have point out that specifically what Paul is talking about here is not just not knowing how to pray. Like, you've never prayed before, and, and you just need, your brand new Christian, you need someone to teach you how to pray. I mean, that may be the case. But specifically what Paul is saying here is you don't know the content that your prayer should have. Like, I, in this, I'm, I need to pray about this situation with my family or my work or whatever it might be, but I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what's best. And uh, people have pointed out there's a number of ways, right, that this unfolds in our lives. Um, one is that we just, again, we, we just truly don't know what to pray for because we're just, we don't know God's will perfectly. And so you're debating on how do we, should we move or should we not move? Should we take a, a new job or should, or should we not take a new job? And, and you just don't know what to pray for because you don't know what's best. There's too many competing things and you're just like, I, I don't even know, I don't know what, what to ask for how to pray in this situation. That's one time where we feel this weakness. Another is that when we clearly know what we want, but we're not sure if what we want is what, what God desires for us. So you may know, I don't want this job anymore. I want a new job. <laughs> there's, no, there's no question about your desires. But you wonder, but, but maybe it's the best thing for my formation or for my team or for my family to stay in this job that I don't like. Maybe it's the best thing for God's mission that I remain here. So, so you don't know what to pray or how to pray in those moments. For example, I remember two uh, former pastoral residents from Christ Community, they were a married couple just ahead of me in the pastoral residency program. And as they were leaving the residency, they went to a church they knew had some, some issues. I mean, they went in eyes open, but they got there and a few months in there, this church is way more dysfunctional than they could have imagined. And I remember having conversations with them and they just were wrestling with, okay, like, we don't want to be here anymore, but how long should we stay? They didn't know how to pray in that moment, what to do. They knew what they wanted, but when were they released from that calling? When, when could they go to the next thing? Or even the Apostle Paul, the one writing these words, he tells us in another letter in 2 Corinthians that he has this thing, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. It seems like it's probably a physical element. We don't know for sure what it is. He doesn't tell us. But he says uh, that he calls it a messenger from Satan, so we know it's probably not a, a very pleasant thing. And he asks, he tells us in this letter, I prayed three times that this thing would be taken away. And the response that he gets back is just, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you. How do you continue to pray in those kinds of moments? God, take this away, heal this, remove this, fix this in my, in my family, in my work, and whatever it might be. And God says, I'm going to let that be. My grace is sufficient. How, how do you know how to continue to pray in those moments? I think often we don't know how to pray. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing here in this moment, that that's Okay. That's the very weakness that the Holy Spirit has come to help us in. It's part of the weakness of being a finite human being in a world that is radically and profoundly disintegrated and is not yet what it will one day be. But here is our hope, friends, in the midst of that, is that we don't pray alone. 
The Liverpool football club, the Liverpool soccer team, is, is famous for their motto that, that you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. And for the Christian, our motto could easily be, you will never pray alone. You'll never pray alone. Uh, listen to how one writer puts it. There is one in heaven, the Son of God, this is Jesus, who intercedes on our behalf. Paul actually mentions that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, that Jesus is interceding on our behalf, defending us from all charges that might be brought against us. But there is also an intercessor in the heart, the Spirit of God, who effectively prays to the Father on our behalf throughout the difficulties and uncertainties of our lives. You will never pray alone. Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus is praying for you right now, and the Holy Spirit is praying with you, in you. So, so maybe you're in this moment where you feel like your, your kids are just, your kids have screwed up. And, and as a parent in that moment, you are feeling just this overwhelming sense of, of gosh, I'm a terrible parent. And essentially you're saying, I deserve judgment. I deserve to be condemned. And in that moment, friends, Jesus is saying over you that you are forgiven, that you are set free to life and joy, that you are united to me, you will never be cast out, that the enemy can never put a charge on you that will stick. And, and think about this. In that moment, too, you're probably overwhelmed thinking, I don't even know how to pray for my child in the moment of this. I, I don't know what to say. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what to ask for. And the Holy Spirit groans with you but in accordance with God's will, asking for what you wouldn't know to ask or maybe what you'd be afraid to ask, maybe what you are too afraid to hope to ask. Or, or maybe you find yourself battling some kind of a destructive pattern, a sinful pattern in your life. With food or pornography or, or gaming or alcohol or sex or procrastination or gossip or anger or rage, any number of things. But this has been like kind of a, a, a just an anchor that is just hard to remove from your life. And the evil one is just saying over you, you're no good. You deserve nothing but condemnation. Shame on you. But friends, Jesus is standing before the throne of God, advocating, saying, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is my child. They are forgiven. They are mine. They are good. They are worthy. They are lovely because I have loved them and given my life for them. And, and as you, in that moment, find yourself groaning in the midst of the pain and the shame, the Spirit groans with you, asking for exactly what you need, helping you to hear the truth that Jesus declares over you. When you encounter problems and brokenness at work, when you're at a loss, of, I don't know how to make the next step in what we need to do. I don't know how to keep going in this environment. When you've hit the wall, Jesus is praying with you and for you. The Spirit is groaning with you and for you. So, so in those moments when you feel like you've just hit the wall, where you're overwhelmed, where you don't know how to go forward, remember the truth that you never pray alone. And take hope. And take hope because this is not the end of the story. Our groans, creation's groans, the Spirit's groans, they are not the end. They are not the final word because, friends, glory is coming. And that's our third point this morning, that our God groans, glory is coming. There is hope that you won't groan forever, that creation will not keep on groaning forever, that God won't groan forever. 
And this is really the main point that Paul is making in this whole section of, of Romans 8 here, in this part of it. Uh, verse 18, notice two things that I read. First, that there are sufferings at this present time. Paul is very clear about that in Romans chapter 8. Suffering is very real in this present moment. But second, that they won't last forever. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us or in us. Not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. The suffering, the very real suffering that is the source of the groaning that Paul talks about here will eventually one day give way to glory. And then Paul makes this, this kind of stunning, uh, maybe even if you've been someone who's had a, a lot of suffering in their life, it might even seem offensive to you, the statement he makes here. But he says that our present suffering when compared with the glory that is coming, there's really no comparison that can be made. The glory will be so much greater. And here's what he's getting at. This is not sort of a Buddhist kind of a detachment from the world or from desire that will relieve suffering, or that suffering is an illusion. I mean, Paul suffered greatly. Jesus suffered incredibly greatly. And neither of them say that that suffering isn't real or that it isn't... Uh, profoundly meaningful. Your suffering is very real. Paul's point is that compared with what is coming, that if you were to put them on a scale and weigh them, that the glory is going to far, far exceed the weight of the suffering. It's actually where C.S. Lewis, um, in some ways where he gets the title of his really famous sermon, his famous address called The Weight of Glory. And, and in this he really tries to get at what is the glory that the New Testament talks about as it relates to believers. And he, Lewis points out there's kind of two parts of this glory. One part of the glory has to do with this acceptance or this being noticed by or acknowledged by or welcomed by God. That's part of the glory. This kind of honor and an honor and shame culture. This, this glory is this honor that we receive as God notices us, pays attention, welcomes us into his family. That's the adoption part that we've been talking about earlier. But then Lewis has this other part to glory as well that actually gets more to the heart of even this idea of the, the metaphor of glory that has to do with this kind of shining or luminescence. Because Paul adds in verse 23, he says, that we're awaiting the, the redemption, this adoption that is the redemption of our bodies. He adds this idea of the redemption of our bodies. And that's where Lewis talks about the shining, this brightness, that there is something new and incredible coming that we will have new bodies. There will still be real bodies, material bodies, physical bodies, but they will be transformed and made new and taken into the very life and glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen to what Lewis writes. He says, For if we take the imagery of Scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, then we may surmise, and I love this, that both the ancient myths and the modern poetry, so false as history, may be very near the truth as prophecy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of the morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors that we see. Oh, but friends, 
but all the leaves of the New Testament are wrestling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. And, and, and that's our hope, friends. It's not just our wish, right? The, the biblical idea of hope is, is an eager expectation. That is what we are looking for, are eagerly expecting, even as we endure the groans of this present suffering. Right? And Monday is coming, right? We know that. Tomorrow is Monday, and work, and school, and parenting, and groaning are coming. And so as you await with eager expectation, take your groanings to the one who's groaning with you and for you. Because just because we don't see the glory doesn't mean that it isn't real, that it isn't coming, that it won't come. Let me close with this. When we arrived at Glacier National Park on our vacation, my heart sank. Because I've been longing to see this park since I was a kid. To enjoy the stunning views of the going to the sun road. It's one of the most beautiful drives in the world. I couldn't wait. But when we got there, it was not going to the sun road. It was going into the clouds road because this is all we could see. It was raining, foggy. You could hardly see the car in front of you, much less waterfalls and valleys and wildflowers. I mean, that was it. Now, the truth was that all that incredible scenery, all those magnificent views were right there. As real as, even more real, more solid, more permanent, more lasting than the rain and the mist. And yet, if I had never seen pictures of the park, I wouldn't have believed it, because that's all I could see. A few trees on the road, a little bit of grass. But because I had seen pictures, I had hope. I had an eager expectation that if the sun came out, if the clouds got chased away, if the sun burnt off the mist and the fog, that the glory of that park would be revealed. Thankfully, we were there for more than one day. We were there for three days. And on the last day, it was. We got to see this view instead. That's the view we came to see. And we rejoiced. This is the, the kids rejoicing when we got to finally see. Um, I don't know. I think I had a picture of the kid. There we go. They, they were so happy when we finally got to see not the going to the cloud road, but the going to the sun road. Friends, Romans chapter 8 is a picture of what is hiding behind the clouds and the rain of our present suffering, of our groaning. So have hope. Wait with eager expectation for the glory that will be revealed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you asking you to renew our hope, renew our eager expectation that will sustain us in the midst of our present sufferings. And we cling to the truth that in the midst of our groanings that you groan with us, as we groan along with creation, that your Holy Spirit is interceding for us, asking for exactly what we need. Help us to trust that that's true. And I pray now that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we will be nourished in our hope and in our expectation of what is to come.
We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.